0: Hosea 1, uh, verses 6 to 7. Then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Name her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I would ever forgive them. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them by the Lord their God, and will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. Amen. <clears throat> Hosea the prophet of God was commanded by God to marry a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry as well and in doing so God commanded this that way, uh, that way it would be clear to the nation of Israel of what was going on and it is, it is a picture between God and It is a picture between God and the nation of Israel. God as the faithful husband, enduring with much patience uh, the worshiping of idols from the nation of Israel and the nation of Israel as the faithless wife, the one who is committing harlotry, flagrant harlotry over and over again. And this is an important point because we must know that God did actually command Hosea to take a wife of harlotry. And in verse six, the beginning of it, it says, then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. This is the same as it reads in verse three when it says, so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. It's important to note because we uh, must believe that God did command Hosea to do this and that it did actually occur the vividness and the clearness of it is depicted in it. And if it was, uh, as some commentators say, that it is just a vision or that it is just a dream, it would lessen the severity of what is actually going on between God and the nation of Israel. And so God did command Hosea to do this, and God did command Hosea to have children of harlotry and this did happen and so further in verse 6 it says and the lord said to him name her lo ruhamah for i will no longer have compassion on the house of israel that i would ever forgive them god commands hosea to name his daughter lo ruhamah which literally means no mercy or no compassion And he does this because he isn't going to have compassion on the house of Israel any longer. He has been enduring with much patience. He has um, given them the prophets, given given them the messengers of God. And over and over, time after time, generation after generation, they have been uh, disobedient. They have spurned. They have detested the commandments of God, the commandments of the Lord. And so now God is telling Hosea to name your daughter this because I'm making it clear to the nation of Israel. I'm making it clear to those who are disobedient to my word, who hear the truth and reject my words, that I will not have compassion on them and I will never forgive them. And this, as, this goes on as early as um, the, from the Exodus of Egypt. In Exodus 32, Exodus 32, Exodus 32, verses 7 to 10 reads, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and worshipped it. And have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation. The context of this passage is Moses is on Mount Sinai, speaking to God face to face, and the nation of Israel is on the base of the mountain, and in Moses' abstinence, or in his, uh, yeah, in his uh, abstinence, he is absence. Sorry, he is, or the nation of Israel proceed to forsake the Lord, and it says in verse eight, they quickly turn aside from the wit- from the way that God commanded them, and keep in mind that this is right almost directly after the exodus of Egypt, where they would have seen all of the miracles that God provided, all of the miraculous signs that Moses and Aaron performed before their eyes. And yet they were so quick to desert and worship something that they made and something that they created. And that's why God has this burning indignation towards them and wants to destroy them. And in this case, uh, the only reason why they were not destroyed was because a righteous man, Moses, the prophet of God, he interceded on Israel's behalf. He prayed on behalf of the nation of Israel and um, he was the one that uh, granted them compassion. According to God's will, it was uh, Moses who prayed and then God had compassion on them. And also, this is a type of uh, a picture of Christ as well, because Christ is the one who prays on our behalf that God would have compassion on us, that God would have mercy upon us who do not deserve compassion, but yet he still gives it to us on behalf of Christ himself. But in this instance, God desires to destroy them, but he does not on behalf of the prayer of a righteous man, which is Moses. And then furthermore in second 2 Kings 2 Kings seventeen second Kings seventeen verses seven and eight. Now this came about because the sons of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up from the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods, and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel, and in the customs of the kings of Israel which they had introduced. This is about 700 years later, after the exodus of Egypt. And this is the beginning of the uh, captivity of the northern kingdom, whenever the Uh, The nation of Israel split into two different kingdoms. There was the northern and the southern kingdoms. And this is the beginning of the captivity of them. And this is explaining why they're going into uh, captivity. And it mentions specifically back to the Exodus where they seen the miracles of God firsthand. And they should have known beforehand. They should have known to not worship any other God but the Lord in heaven. And their fathers should have taught them as well. And then we will see their specific sins. Furthermore, in uh, verses 13 to 20, verses 13 to 20 reads, Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments, my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you through my servants, the prophets. However, they did not listen, but stiffened their neck like their fathers, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenant, which he made with their fathers, and his warnings with which he warned them, and they followed vanity and became vain, and went went after uh, uh, the nations which surrounded them, concerning which the Lord had commanded them not to do like them. They forsook all the commandments of the Lord their God, and made for themselves molten images even two calves, and made an Asherah, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven, and served Baal. Then they made their sons and their daughters pass through the fire, and practiced divination and enchantments, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him. So the Lord was very angry with Israel, and removed them from his sight. None was left except the tribe of Judah. Also, Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord, their God, but walked in the customs which Israel had introduced. The Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them out of his sight. So the nation of Israel, they had many warnings. They had many messages preached to them. Through the prophets and the seers, and yet they stiffened their neck, and they rebelled against God, and did not do what God had commanded them. And they took the warnings of God uh, lightly, and they did not do as they should have. They stiffened their necks um, to the point of it was beyond; uh, it was going to be broken beyond remedy. And we can see further in Second Chronicles 36, 2 Chronicles 36, verses 15 to 16, verses 15 to 16 say, the Lord, the God of their father sent word to them again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people. And on his dwelling place, but they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. So just as the northern kingdom, the house of Israel in this way, the kingdom, uh, the northern kingdom, they despised, mocked and scoffed at the messages, at the messages of God. It says, the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, and there was no remedy because of this. And here in Second Chronicles 36, this is uh, the end of the southern kingdom, the house of Judah, the kingdom of Judah. And this is about 800 years after the exodus of Egypt. And so the same thing that the Israelites were doing and practicing in 1400 BC, which was the exodus of Egypt... And how they deserted the Lord their God is still happening all these years later because they are not taking to heart the warnings and the instruction that God is giving to them. They don't uh, understand the word of God and they don't want to obey. They love their sin more than they love God and they want to worship their idols and live in sin. And for this reason, it says in verse 16, his wrath rose against them until there was no remedy. Just like in Second Kings 17, it says that their neck was stiffened. There is an example in Proverbs 29 verse 1. Or the, the explanation further. Proverbs 29 verse 1 says, A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. The pride, the proudful man, the man who says in his heart that he can do what it takes, that he does not need the Lord and that uh, he hears the true gospel of Christ and yet rejects it. He rebels against the one true God and does not take to heart the consider or the instruction of the Lord. It says his neck will be uh, hardened and it will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. This man will be destroyed utterly and he and his end is the lake of fire and there is no hope for such a man who is so proud in heart thinking that he has all that he needs and this is the man that God will not have compassion on this is the man that God will not have mercy on just as it says in our passage in Hosea 1 this is that man a few examples in the, in the New Testament now, beginning in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. We have a contrast between a wise man and a foolish man. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. So we have the contrast between the wise and the foolish. The wise man hears the words of Christ and he acts on them. He does them. He believes in them and he does not turn to the left or to the right. And when he is uh, reproved or when he is confronted about any sin in his life, he will take action and do what it takes to repent. But yet, the on the opposite side, we have the foolish man. This is the one who is proud in heart. This is the one who hardens his neck. He hears the words of Christ, and yet he does not care. He hears the words of Christ and rejects Christ himself. And this is the man whose fall will be great. His house will come to an end. And his... uh. His end is in the lake of fire. That's where he will go. And that is because he is trusting in himself and not in Christ. And in this way, God is not going to spare him. God is not going to show him compassion in this way. Similarly, in Hebrews 10. In Hebrews 10. 10 verses 26 to 31, it reads For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment, and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve? Who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The man who sins willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth should only expect to receive a terrifying uh, judgment and a fire or the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries god is going to judge the man and there is no hope for this man because he rebels against god and he treads underfoot the son of god he He regards the blood of Christ as unclean. He regards uh, Christ as nothing. The blood of the covenant, which he poured out on the cross on our behalf for sins, he regards it as nothing and as futile, futile. And in so doing as well, he has insulted the spirit of grace. And that's why the apostle here says it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, because it truly is. If we hear these things and we hear the true gospel being preached to us, we hear the truth being told to us, then we should repent and believe and not continue in our sin. Lest God smite us. The last reference here, Second Peter 2, 2. Peter 2 verses 20 to 22. 2 Peter 2. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them, and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire." Just as it has said in Hebrews and these other passages, it would have been better for the man who hears the truth, cleans up their act for a little while, to have never have known the truth because their last state was better or their last state is worse than their first. And this is the case with the nation of Israel. In Hosea 1 verse 7, when it says that God will... That I will no, uh, sorry, and for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel. That I would ever forgive them. This is the reason why is because they have heard the truth over and over again. They have despised his prophets. They have despised his messages, and now God is telling them, their destruction is upon them. And this is the case for all of the wicked who disobey his commandments, and all of those who hear the truth and do not believe. Um, The end of verse six and the beginning of verse seven, again, it says, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I would ever forgive them, but I will have compassion on the house of Judah. God is the one who is sovereign. God is the one who has compassion on the one and not on another. And he is the one who has this divine right. He is the one who has this divine prerogative. It is his alone, and not any of ours. And we should never think that we um, come to God on our own. That he, uh, that we are able to save ourselves. And this is further explained in Romans nine. Romans nine verse. 14 to 24, Romans 9. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he also called, not from among, among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. God is the one who has compassion on whom he desires and mercy on whom he desires. It does not depend upon us. He hardens whom he desires. And in the case of Pharaoh, he raised Pharaoh up for the very purpose of his destruction so that the whole world throughout the whole earth, his name would be proclaimed, and this is not dependent upon us. We are the clay; He is the Potter, and we cannot take this office, take this right from God. We have no, uh, no room to. Also, while we're in Romans nine, uh, we should note in verses six to eight. It says, "But it is not as though the Word of God has failed." For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. This is important because uh, in our chat, in our uh, section in Hosea one, it says house of Israel and house of Judah and the prophet's. Intention is not to simply mean the whole northern kingdom when he says house of Israel, and it's not his intention to mean the whole southern kingdom when he says house of Judah. But he means in verse 6 the reprobate, and he means in verse 7 the elect, the unbelieving and the believing, the righteous or the wicked and the righteous. And here in verses 6 to 8, it is clear that not all Israel are descended from Israel. That is Spiritual Israel. And also in verse 7, they are not all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. And this is the promise that God gave to Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. And this is the spiritual application that his descendants would be those among the faith. And so when it says house of Israel, it doesn't always mean all of Israel and the same with Judah. It does not always mean all of Judah and further evidence of this and God's sovereignty is found in first Peter two, first Peter two verses four to 10. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve... The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so the people of God, it says in verse 10, you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. So the true Israel of God are those who are born again by the spirit of God according to the word of God. And those are the true Israelites indeed. Those are the true, uh, in this context, in our passage, that is the house of Judah. Those who are born again by the spirit of Christ. And also note here, it says in verse eight, they stumbled because they were disobedient to the word and to this doom, they were also appointed. They were appointed to eternal destruction. They were appointed to be disobedient. And for that, we will also look at Proverbs sixteen four for further evidence. Proverbs 16, verse 4. It reads, The Lord has made everything for its, for its own purpose, even the wicked, for the day of evil. The Lord God has made all things in heaven, all things on earth. He has made the sun, the moon, the stars, the sea, the trees, everything that we see. And everything has a purpose. And here, he doesn't pick out the sun to say what the purpose is. But he says, even the wicked for the day of evil. The wicked's purpose is for their destruction. And they are appointed for this doom. And it is God's sovereign choice. It is According to his will. Who will be appointed to eternal life. And who will be appointed to eternal death. And that's why. And back to Hosea 1 verses 6 and 7. It says. That God is the one not having compassion. In verse 6. And then it says in verse 7. That he is the one who will have compassion. Many people will reject this notion. And many evangelicals in our day and age. Many Arminians or Arminians reject this outright and say that it is dependent upon them, that they are the ones who choose salvation, that they are the ones who appoint themselves to eternal life, that God will give uh, salvation, that God gives salvation to everyone in this way, and that all they have to do is take out and grab hold of it and believe. And this is uh, absolutely heretical, and we should not be believing it And we should refute those people that would desire to corrupt the true gospel of Christ in doing so. And we should be ready and on guard for when we encounter those people. Further in verse 7, it says, "And uh, Verse 7, But I will have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them by the Lord their God, and will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. In this one verse, we have two persons of the Trinity at work. We have the Father, but I will, and the Son, deliver them by the Lord their God. The Father is the one who is having compassion. The Son is the one who is delivering His people, delivering the elect, from their sin and taking their place on the cross. And this is not something that is new. This is not something that is um, that Hosea made up. This is not something that after the day of Pentecost that they realized. But this is actually even taught, preached, and discussed in Genesis 1. In the very first book of the Bible. Beginning of creation. Genesis 1. Also, look at chapter 3, verses 22 to 23. 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. In these two passages... It explicitly says that God said, let us, our image, our likeness. This is the plural pronoun here being used, not singular. And we can know that God is not speaking to angels. He's not speaking to any other created being because he says in verse 27, God created man in his own image, image of God. He created him male and female he created them so there should be no doubt in anyone's mind that they are made in the image of God and that the trinity the triune God the father the son and the spirit are at work together here making man from dust in their own image <clears throat> just like it says in 23 I'm sorry in Genesis 3:23 or 22 it says, like one of us. That is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit talking together. Also, we should notice in the beginning of chapter one and verse two, it says the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. The word moving here is literally rendered. Uh, as hovering. So the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And this is personifying the Holy Spirit. This is talking specifically about the Holy Spirit Himself in verse 2. And then in verse 3, it says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And we know that this is the Father because there's many instances, or we have the instance of uh, Jesus' baptism. In Matthew 3, where it says, uh, where God spoke from heaven and he said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And in the same instance, you have the dove descending upon the sun or hovering onto the sun in the same way that it's mentioned here. And so God, the God, the father, he is the one speaking in verse three. And so right here in these two verses, we have both the spirit and the father, both both explicitly mentioned. And then if we just flip one page over, we can see explicitly that in verses um, in verses 8 to 10, it says this. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And now we see Christ. We see Christ walking in the garden, and Adam and Eve hearing God, hearing the Lord God, the Lord Christ, walk in the garden. We cannot hear a spirit walk, and so this has to be Christ himself as well. Also, we know from John 1.18 that no one has ever seen God but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. And Adam and Eve saw Christ and saw, they saw God. So it cannot be God the Father. It has to be God the Son. It has to be Jesus Christ, our Lord. For more evidence of the Trinity being taught and believed in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 verses 1 to 13. It reads, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, with two he covered his face, With two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphims flew to me with a bon- burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, and their eyes dim. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until cities are devastated and without inhabitant. Houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land." Yet there will be a tenth portion in it, and it will again be subject to burning, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. We see here that Isaiah saw the Lord multiple times. Verse 1. Verse three, it's calling holy. It's saying, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts," and we know there is only one God and one Lord, showing the oneness of the God of uh, of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And then also in verse five, it says, "For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." And again in eight, it says, "Whom shall I send?" This is the Lord speaking. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And your us should be capitalized once again, like it was in Genesis one. And that is indicating the father, the son, and the spirit who will go for them. Also, let's read Isaiah 53. And then we will reference some New Testament passages and compare it to these here. Isaiah 53 verse one. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Comparing that with John 12, Isaiah six and Isaiah, Isaiah 53, compare that to John chapter 12. verses 35 to 41 it reads so jesus said to them for a little while longer the light is among you walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you he who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes while you have the light believe in the light so that you may become sons of light these things jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them but though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This, uh, this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and he hardened their heart. So that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Jesus tells us um, specifically here. Sorry, uh, John writes for us specifically here that this is to fulfill what Isaiah prophesied about in Isaiah 6 and Isaiah 53. uh, John says that Isaiah saw Christ. He saw his glory and he spoke of him. He would have been preaching Christ. He would have been preaching his crucifixion and believing in uh, his crucifixion as well. So it is not absurd to think that they knew of Christ in the Old Testament. It's not absurd to think that they knew of the spirit in the old Testament. And also we see here the sovereignty of God once again at work when he says, just as it did in Isaiah verse six, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter six, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart. God did this intentionally to them and it was his divine right. Right. And since we're in John, we can go to John one eighteen, as it was quoted earlier. John one eighteen, it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. So no one has seen God the Father at any time. The only begotten Son of God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. This is is undoubtedly clear and it cannot be argued and those who would wish to argue and say that the trinity does not exist or that the trinity is not a thing that it's a man-made doctrine they are also distorting the word of christ to their own destruction to their own demise the people like the jehovah's witnesses or the people like the mormons or the oneness pentecostals any of these cults they Are destined for the lake of fire and they deny all of these truths. As well as we read in the Old Testament, it is clear and obvious that the Old Testament saints knew and believed in the Trinity. It is not something that was revealed in the New Testament or something that was revealed after the day of Pentecost. Or in our day and age. But Adam and Eve knew and believed it. They preached it. They would have. Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, believed it. He would have known what he was writing. Also, Isaiah, who saw Christ and his glory, he would have known it and believed it and preached it. And Hosea, in our passage, he knows. That God is not insane; He knows that God would not be saying, speaking in this way unless there was two persons that He was making reference to. So He also believed and preached the Trinity, and this is to refute those who call themselves dispensationalists and try to say that we are smarter than the Old Testament saints; that we are the ones who have the knowledge; we are the ones who have the wisdom. But like we had read in previous passages like psalm 29 verse 1 when it says that they harden their necks beyond remedy these are those people who are proud in their heart who are wise in their own estimation and seek after their own desires their own sinful pleasures and they think that they are the wisest men on earth to think that adam and eve who walked with christ in the garden that we would know more than them or that Moses who spoke face to face with God that we would know more than him or the prophets of God who had the word of God given to them to prophesy to a whole nation that we would know more than them this is heretical satanic and we should not believe in it <clears throat> the last part of verse 7 Verse 7 reads, But I will have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them by the Lord their God, and will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. And as we just discussed, Christ is the one who is delivering the house of Judah, or the elect. God is the one who will save his people and grant them eternal life, and it's not through means of the physical uh, ability. And we can see this promise even gived or even um, given as early as Genesis three. Genesis three verses fourteen to fifteen. Genesis three verses fourteen to fifteen. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So we have the promise of Christ here, the deliverance of Christ. From sin, the deliverance from Satan, the king, uh, the prince of the power of the air, and the promise given, uh, uh, this is the promise given to us. That Christ will crush Satan underneath his feet, and in the same way, we will be delivered from sin and from our enemies, like Satan and his demons and his wicked ones. Also in Psalm 44. Psalm 44. <coughs> verses one to eight. O God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us the work that you did in their days. In the days of old, you with your own hand drove out the nation's. Then you planted them, you afflicted the peoples, then you spread them abroad. For by their own sword they did not possess the land, and their own arm did not save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your presence, for you have favored them. You are my king, O God, command victories for Jacob. Through you we will push back our adversaries. Through your name we will trample down those who rise up against us. For I will not trust in my my bow. Nor will my sword save me, but you have saved us from our adversaries, and you have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted all day long, and we will give thanks to your name forever. Selah. Another instance of God commanding victories for Jacob, or rather for his people, for his elect, for the true spiritual Israel. And as it says in verse 3, it says, By their own sword they did not possess the land, and their own arm did not save them. Christ is the one who will save us. He is the one who would deliver us from our enemies, from our sin. Also in John 18, John 18 John eighteen verses thirty three to thirty seven. Therefore, Pilate uh, therefore Pilate entered again into the petroleum and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. God's kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. It is a heavenly spiritual kingdom. And just as Ephesians 6 verse 12 says that we wage war with the prince. Uh, we don't wage war with, the, with flesh and blood, but it is against uh, the spirit of wickedness. The same that This is what Jesus is explaining here. That his people would be fighting if his kingdom was of this world, but it is not. They do not fight with flesh and blood, but they fight Satan. They fight demons. They fight uh, sin and wickedness. And that's why Christ is explaining here that his kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. And those who hear his voice uh, truly will turn to him and follow in his ways. And he will give them deliverance, not physical deliverance, not always. He does at times give us physical deliverance, but most certainly if we trust in Christ, he will give us deliverance from our sin and from those who seek to kill our souls. And that's the more important deliverance that we should be concerned about. And lastly, we will look at an example from second Kings, Second Kings verses 29 to 37. It says, "Then this shall be the sign for you: You will eat this year what grows of itself in the second year what springs from the same. And in the third year, sow reap." plant vineyards, and eat their fruit. The surviving remnant of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem will go forth a remnant, and out of Mount Zion survivors. The zeal of the Lord will perform this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he will not come to the city or shoot an arrow there, and he will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came and by the way... By the same way he will return, and he shall not come to this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city, to save it for my own sake and for my da- my servants, my servant David's sake. Then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. It came about as, as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his God, that Adremelech and Shar-Ezar killed him with a sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat, and esar Haddon, his son, became king in his place. This is a perfect description, a perfect picture of what Christ does for his people. This is in the context of King Hezekiah's reign and Assyria at this time, they are trying to come up and siege, lay siege to the, um, the southern kingdom. And so Hezekiah prays to Isaiah and God grants Hezekiah's prayer and delivers the nation or the kingdom of Judah the southern kingdom from their physical enemies but more importantly this is a picture of what Christ will do and like it says in verse 35 then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians and when men uh, rose early in the morning behold all of them were dead in the same way Christ will uh, will strike, smite, and destroy all of our enemies. And it will happen suddenly upon them, and he will deliver us in this way. He may not deliver us physically, but he certainly will deliver us spiritually. And also we can see what is the end of the king, um, of the king in verse uh, 37. It says, that he was worshipping his idol. Nisroch. And that his two sons. Came and killed him. They. Uh, this is very shameful. And an evidence. Or it's a uh, picture of what will happen to the wicked as well. The wicked will be destroyed. And it will be a very shameful thing. Because they have. Rejected. Rebelled. And. Refused to take heed the instruction of God the instruction of the Lord and that's why God commands Hosea to name his daughter Lo-ruhamah because God wants the nation of Israel and us as well in our day and generation to take heed to listen to his word to obey it and to trust fully in Christ for his deliverance from sin from judgment And from our enemies, our spiritual enemies. And knowing that God is the one who can kill both soul and body. He is the one who puts to death both. We should be fearful of him and not of what any man can do to us. And so let us trust in this Christ and let us trust in God. And believe that Christ will deliver us from these things. Amen.